на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello, welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week we have a packed schedule of European fixtures, as we welcome back the champions in Europa League group stages. We'll be unpacking all of the action from each of the three games, as Zenit travel to reigning champions Chelsea on Tuesday evening, and then in the Europa League, Spartak and Loco hosted Legia Warsaw and Marseille respectively on Wednesday and Thursday. To discuss all that, I'm your host, James Nichols, and as always, I'm joined by David Sanson. Good evening. And Richard Pike. Good evening, James. Good evening, David. How are everybody? I'm particularly good today. I mean, later on, we'll also... And the reason why is later on, we'll also hear from Ilya Sokolov. And he's going to be joining us live from the RZD Arena to give us his immediate thoughts on Lokomotiv's game against Marseille. Due to that, however, at the time of recording, the Lokomotiv match is actually currently being played and it is a, at half-time still nil-nil. Um, so expect a slightly shorter, more concise summary on the on the game the Lokomotiv game compared to Spartak and Zenit, but that is because we are getting straight from the local host, the local expert himself, live from the stadium. But Richard, you kept a close eye on Zenit's game in particular at Chelsea away and what I personally predicted to be maybe quite a dis- depressing night for the hosts, uh, for the for the away sides. They obviously haven't had the best of years in the Champions League of late. And it couldn't have got much harder by going to the reigning, traveling to the reigning champions for the very first game. But I think it's maybe fair to say that the performance and results was actually quite endearing for Zenit in the long run. And hopefully they could keep that up in some of closer and easier games. I think we all did, to be honest, James. I think we all were <laughs> fearing the worst when they um, have to go to Stamford Bridge. You couldn't have asked for a harder first task than away at the reigning European champions. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you, actually. Zenit came out of that game with a lot of credit despite the loss. Um, uh, it's <laughs> I know you never like losing any football game, but if you would have offered them a 1-0 defeat uh, before the match, they would have absolutely have taken it. They would have snatched your arm off, never mind your hand off uh, for it. Um and it wasn't just the fact that you know they only came away with a 1-0 defeat. Um, the performance as well was actually quite good. Obviously, it's caveated by the fact that they were having to withstand quite a bit of heavy pressure from Chelsea in the second half especially. But in the first half, I thought they restricted Chelsea to very few chances, actually. Maybe Chelsea had to step it up in the second half. They didn't play particularly brilliantly, but then it nullified them um, really quite well. Um, they lined up in a... What looked like a 4-3-2-1 formation with um, Sadar Azmoun up top with Claudinho and Malcolm behind. Midfield three of Wendell, uh, Dalla Kuzayev and Wilmar Barrios. Although I will stress that because of how of the strength of the opponent and how Chelsea were pushing forward in the second half, it did almost become a back three at times. Barrios was pushing back into the defence to help out um, the central defensive two of Chistyakov and uh, Rakitsky. Um, Sutomin was playing right, right back. I think Caravai was injured and Douglas Santos played left back and uh, Stanislav Kritschuk was in goal. Um, and yeah, I thought Zenit nullified Chelsea pretty well in the first half. Obviously, second half, Chelsea then stepped up a gear. Um, and I thought Dmitry Tishakov had a great game, but there was just 
it, the winning goal, obviously, it was a slight mistake from him. Although I will also give Romelu Lukaku a huge amount of credit for his movement in the box as well. Um, admittedly, probably the midfield could have more to close down Cesar Aspilicueta, who put in a very good ball for Lukaku, actually. It was good movement from Lukaku to lose Chistikov in the box and head past Chris, head the goal past Chris Shuk in goal. Um, it was pretty much the only mistake Chistikov made all night, and part of it, I think, was good movement in the box from Lukaku. Um, I think we're. I think everybody was relieved when um, it was. You know, there was some doubts before the game as to whether Wilmar Barrios would actually been able to play this match for Zenit. Um, but, but I'm so thankful that he did because I think he was him and Douglas Santos were outstanding. The amount of times I saw them just constantly intercepting balls in the centre midfield that you know were played through to, you know, the, the attack, the final third, and the amount of times Santos stopped balls on the flanks. It was it, it really, really was impressive from the pair of them. Um, I definitely know as well that the two commentators, one of them was Glenn Hoddle. He he and the the co-commentator in English really singled out Barrios for praise during the match, which um, was, was nice to hear from, um, obviously, they were commenting on the game from a Chelsea point of view, but it, from an English commentary point of view and a Chelsea point of view. So it was nice to hear praise from an opposing player from them. Um, and yeah, both those two had a good game. I thought Rakitsky also was excellent at the back for Zenit. Um, I know Claudinho and uh, Malcolm were singled out for a bit of criticism in the game, but I think this game is one of those where it's caveated by the fact that they, they're having to do a lot of defensive work as well, you know, because Chelsea obviously, you know, play this 3-4, 2-1 formation. They're, they're stacked in the centre of midfield. They create overloads in the centre. And you've got to, you know... The attacking some attacking players from the opposing team are going to have to come back and do defensive work against them, especially when you have a golfing quality like there was between the sides on paper. Um, so Asmoon, yeah, at times was getting pretty isolated. Although to be fair to Claudinho and uh, Malcolm, uh, and to be fair to Asmoon as well, then it had a few chances. I remember in the first half, um, Asmoon had, had lost. I think it was one of the two Chelsea defenders. I think it was about on the thirty-fifth minute mark or something, and. He, he got in front of the Chelsea defenders and all it needed was a through ball from Claudinho and he would have been in, but it wasn't a particularly good pass from Claudinho. And then I think on the hour mark, Asmoon had a chance himself. In the He was through on goal, but his first touch for that final touch was his first uh, touch when taking the last stride before hitting the shot was a bit too heavy and it allowed Rudiger to come back and clear. Um, and then after it came, went to 1-0s and it obviously had to open up a bit more and attack. Um and then, yeah, I think it was around 80-minute mark. They got a great chance. I think Joaquin played in Asmoon, who appealed to the right. He put a ball deliciously across the box. And Zuber, who, Artem Zuber, who come on as a late substitute, he got connection on it, but not enough, and it went wide of the post. And it was a very good chance, but he just couldn't quite get the connection on it. Um, so disappointing with the result, but overall with the performance, yes, Zenit, I think, could feel very proud of that. Um, performance, put it this way, it was, it was just a lot nicer seeing them, even though they were having to do a lot of defending the game, it was just a lot nicer seeing them keep the ball down on the deck more. There was obviously a few more, a few direct passes from time to time, but it was a lot more structured this time round, and probably that performance was better than if you combine all the performances last year in Europe, although that's not saying much, it was better than all the performances in Europe last season, just that one night at Stamford Bridge. Um, and yeah, hopefully going forward, this is something now. But the, but what I will stress with Zenit is hopefully, fingers crossed, that they keep. I want to see them keep this formation now. But obviously, they play Malmo at home next. 
that's absolutely massive. Now, obviously, in that game, it's going to be different because on paper, Malmo are not as good, nowhere near as good as Chelsea. So they're going to be doing more attacking in this game, Zenny. The onus will be on them because they're playing at home to be on the front foot and attack. It's a game they've got to win. They can't really afford to draw this if they're harbouring hopes of getting second, third place in the group. Um, so yeah, it's going to be it's going to be different. Hopefully, in this game, Claudinho and Malcolm will be able to support Asmoon a bit more, um, possibly Wendell too, and the two fullbacks. And that's what I'd like to see from Zenit. You know, this game was the hardest. This game against Chelsea was the hardest game of the of all their group matches. It's out the way now. You know, they they had to play a more tight and conservative match. This now going forward, I'd like to see, and in the whole match against even arguably Juve from time to time as well, I want to see a more positive approach now from Simak and Zenit. You know, get on the front foot against Malmo right from the get-go, get an early goal, put them under pressure. I don't want to see a return to the match against Bruges last year when I thought they typically approached the game too conservative. And this is a Bruges side, missing players due to injury and COVID and you know, Bruce just were all over them. They were the ones playing like they were the home side. So I want to see Zenit really on the front foot against Malmo, put the pressure to them, get an early goal, put them under pressure um, and build on this this promising performance against Chelsea because it really will be in vain if Zenit don't get the win against Malmo. I want to see now some some kind of building block that's put in place by that um, honourable defeat against Chelsea, let's just say. Something for Zenit to build on. But yeah, there was some encouraging signs, so fingers crossed they can now... Make make the most of these two home games, you know, because um, I think that game against Stamford Bridge showed Chelsea showed against Chelsea that Zenit have got ability. They certainly have talent in their first eleven. So it's just a case now of backing that result up with a good performance at home against Malmo. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it's it's probably good to play Chelsea now at this point to get them kind of out of the way and what is quite easily the probably the hardest game I mean having said that still because of the nature of the group there is Juve still to come but that if you look at that Chelsea sides I think everybody expected as I said at the very top that just to tear through Zenit and and I absolutely agree I think it's credit to Zenit for the performances a performance in in the game itself because it's the first time in probably about three years that I've seen Zenit look like a team remotely close to competing in the senior level, the highest level. I remember sitting down in a podcast this time last year with Ben from the Belgian Football Pod and discussing how I thought that the quality on show that Zenit had, despite the poor performance the year before, in the second half of the group at least, that I thought that Zenit would have enough to get by Club Bruges. And we all see how that turned out. It was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Um, just really poor defending. It's a shame that Chistyakov made that mistake because that aside, where I think he just gave Lukaku far too much space and if you give Lukaku any space like that in the form he's in, he's going to make you pay. Because apart from that, he was, in my opinion, Zenit's most impressive defender despite being by far the least experienced at the highest level. He um, he actually had a 98% pass percentage success rate on the night, which... Granted, a lot of them are quite simple passes into foot to Rakitsky or Barrios either side and around him. But it's always good to see that he stepped up a level and for the most part did look very classy. Um, obviously, you can't knock, you can't just give him a carte blanche run away because you can't ignore the mistake. If it was Caio, I'd be jumping all over him. And I think it's unfair to blame one so heavily and, and 
give the other a little bit of a free pass. It wasn't quite good enough, but um, it's his first one at this level. And I think he can only learn from it. Um, so on that, Miles Zenit have looked like a, they were on at least deservedly of being in the Champions League for the first time in a while. What do you think about Semak and Zenit's approach to the game? Was it too defensive or in potentially entirely warranted considering the opposition and the situation of playing the champions of Europe last season away from home? Well, yeah, I mean, I must admit, so obviously I didn't I didn't see the game, I was, I was busy. Um, but I was very worried because in the league this season, defensively, they've they've been fairly poor. They've not kept too many clean sheets. Um, they've they've won a lot of the games, but they've also conceded in a lot of those games. Even if it was just one goal, they still concede a token goal in most games. Like they comfortably beat Achmat um, over the weekend, but they did concede also. Um, so I was worried. I was thinking like, this defense is looking leakier than ever. You know, one thing we could have said about Zenit over the last couple of years is. You know, they, they have struggled to the league and usually have been pretty solid in defence. Uh, and this season, not so much. So I was I was not uh, particularly optimistic prior to this match. But, um, you know, it, it is pleasing to see that the, uh, the defensive strategy paid off. I say paid off, you know, they still lost. Um, but they kept it respectable. Um, I heard that they started the game very well. Um, it had chances, certainly. Uh, you know, just one lapse. You know, I've I've seen the goal. I I I've only seen it once, so I can't comment on the Chisty Cod thing. But the one thing I was sort of observed at the time was I thought Kritsiuk could have done better with it. Um, yeah. It seemed like to me, um, in the near post, his near post as it as he was stood anyway. Um, so yeah, it's disappointing to to go out to a goal like that or to lose to a goal like that. But you know. Um, you have managers for a reason. Managers devise approaches depending on your opponents. When you're playing the champions of Europe, who typically are a defensive unit themselves, let's be fair, um, you have to you have to go out there, give them the respect on the pitch. You know, if you go out there and attack, they're just going to make you look silly um, and hit you on the counter. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I respect the approach. Um, you know, they gave it a good go. Um, Kept the scoreline respectable, you know, no no coefficient points, but decent result, all all the same. Um, yeah, and they now need to go on, you know, the 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 Mauer games, especially the home game it is is the must wins, you know, if if they want to have any chance of, of getting out of the group, if they need to be, if they want to be taken seriously in in European football subculture going forwards, you know, these are the games where they have to win, you know. Uh, Russia has dropped considerably down the the echelons of the coefficients. Uh, other leagues have got teams who are more competitive. Malmo, Sheriff Tiraspol, you know, various other countries from around the around the continent have got teams who are competitive enough against the big teams. Young boys as well beat Manchester United. Um, Russia needs teams who can do that as well, and they have had them in the past. Um, and if they can't go out and beat Malmo. Uh, on two occasions, um, who you know are going to be a t- they are going to be a test. You know we know that. Amo have qualified here for a reason. They could they're obviously good enough to get to this stage. They are going to cause Zenit problems, but Zenit should 
and be aspiring to uh, to go and win. Um, so yeah, you know, fine approach versus Chelsea. Uh, you know, take it on the chin, move on. Yeah. See how uh, they can do against the, against the Swedes. Yeah, and I think it's going to be very much the same approach against Juventus. Um, Juventus themselves quite solid defensively, maybe not so much as Chelsea. Uh, but Chelsea, aside from the sheer quality that they have in the side, especially in the final third, the way they play, the way they control games and how defensively solid they are, like you said, makes it really hard to get a foothold in that game. I mean, they kept a clean sheet against uh, just in last year's Champions League competition alone, never mind the rest of the games. They kept a clean sheet against Manchester City in the final, a clean sheet against Real Madrid in one of the legs of the semi-final, a clean sheet against Porto, clean sheets in both games against Atleti in the knockout stages. So they're, they're a real mean unit. And like you said, David, at the minute, Zenit aren't really particularly defending as well as we have seen them in the past in the league domestically. Uh, perhaps a little bit harsh, because but it, they set their own bar in previous seasons. But in Europe last season, they tried this approach. They conceded, they, they sat relatively deep against uh, club against Bruges and conceded very late in the 93rd minute. For the Dortmund game, they basically didn't attack whatsoever. Um, they only had like 30% possession. I don't think they had a shot on target and conceded again two goals in the last 10 minutes. Uh, against Lazio, very similar sort of game. They did have more attacking impetus in this one than the game against Dortmund, but again conceded within the last 10 minutes after going up. And then after being 1-0 up against Dortmund in St. Petersburg, again conceded twice in the last 10-15 minutes, or I think it was the last 20 in that game. So Zenit have a proclivity to sit deep and make a mistake, one howler. And quite a lot. That was actually Dayan Lovren, whether or not it was intentional or, or his fault. Um, I think in one of the games, in the Dortmund game, when Sancho was brought down, I guess nothing to do with him, but the Haaland goal, he was just caught sleeping. Um, just like Chistyakov was, just giving too much space. And these sort of sides really will punish you for that. So credit to Zenit. Um, but the elephant in the room for Zenit, it seems, at the minute, for, in my opinion, is Artyom Zuba. Not just his performances, but Richard, do you think that Zenit are better without the big man? Is that forcing them to play perhaps a better style of football? Or do you think that Zuba would have, if should he have started last night, uh, on Tuesday night, sorry, would he have been an asset to them playing in such a way by being an outlet to get them up the pitch? No, I, th- I think the approach from um, and the formation of the, of the squad and the team selection from um, Zenit was correct. Um, I, I, I mean, we have to just cast our minds back last year, don't we, to that um, that Club Bruges game where, you know, it just seemed to me like with Zuba in that game, they were just literally just lumping the ball to him, and there was there wasn't really much else. So, to me, no, I think now if you've signed Claudinho, who is both a scoring attacking midfielder and a creator. And you've got Malcolm as well. I think now the Zenit have got to build their attacker and Malcolm, um, Claudinho and Asmu. I think that's that's going forward what, what Zenit are gonna to have to do. Don't be wrong, I still think Zuba is a very good option to have on the bench. You know, he's perfect for those weekend games after European games and the odd bit here and there. He's good as an option if you need to change the game from the bench if you're chasing after a game and then you then you do have to get the ball forward if it's the last 
15, 20 minutes of a game. But no, I think it's arguably at the case now where Zuba's days as, as a guaranteed start for Zenit are over. I think now we have to accept um, that I think it's a better fit with Claudinho, Malcolm and Asmoon in the side because obviously the, the ball was on the deck more. And I think if you sign a player like Claudinho, we'd have to build um, the side around him. You know, they've, they've, they've obviously identified him as this creative player who they need. So, no, I think the approach of getting the ball down on the deck and that team selection was, was the correct decision by Zenit. I think if Zuba had played, it could have been more risky. They could have even surrendered possession more to Chelsea. And I think that might have, you know, they didn't have a huge amount of the ball, as you would expect, but they might, they might have had even less. So, so no, I, I think the approach was correct from Zenit. And uh, I would start that same attacking three in the game against Malmo and play exactly the same way, obviously, in that game. Malmo are not going to be as offensive as Chelsea, you would think, as dominant. They're still obviously a side that have to be respected, as David said. They they beat Rangers in Champions League qualifying, and Gerard's Rangers have been very good in Europe the last few seasons. So, um, yeah. But I don't think they're going to have as much of the dominance as what Chelsea did, obviously, for obvious reasons, because Chelsea are a much better side than Malmo. But nonetheless, it's going to involve Asmoon, and um, Asmoon's going to get more support in that game for the likes of... Claudinho, Wendell and Malcolm. So I think I'd stick with the same approach if I was in it against Malmo going forward. And um, I think Zuba's going to have to accept this new role now, I'm afraid, in Zenit's team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's he's also seeming to accept a new role uh, internationally as well, with him being no longer in in the setup as, as things stand. Uh, other players have taken on that role. And I think it's just an age, uh, an age thing with Zuba. He's not quite as he gets older he gets less and less dominant physically over defenders and more intelligent defenders i mean look at antonio rudiger someone like him who's a physical specimen as well and a very intelligent footballer positionally i think he's absolutely brilliant um tuba's not really not going to get much much from that um asmoon in my opinion is just a smarter player and more likely of a goal threat but under malmo next which is the Without disparaging Malmo at all, um, like you said, Richard, good side. Um, the the game that you would really be looking for Zenit here to try and get into the next the knockout stages of the Europa League from by defeating them. Um, of course, managed by former Juve player Jean Dal Thomason. Uh, they lost three nil at home to Juventus in the first in the first, in their first group game on Tuesday evening. But if we will move on now to the Europa League, where Zenit could end up should they finish third in their Champions League group. And Spartak played on Wednesday evening, um, despite being in the Europa League. Uh, it was actually at 3.45 UK time, which I was very disappointed to find out sitting at work, watching, uh, realising the game had kicked off. But that was because, of course, Lokomotiv are as, as well playing at home this week and, and are playing at home tonight. So Spartak had to play yesterday against Legia Warsaw. Uh, David, you watched the match. Is this and, and of course Spartak dominated the game um, in terms of possession. Couldn't really create a lot. It was a lot of what I like to say pot shots, where it's just absolute no hopers from distance. Um, Jordan Larson had a pretty awful game. Continued his scoreless run, and Rui Vittoria is under heavy, heavy pressure because of Ledger's ninety-first minute winner. I think it was so, David. Uh, are you surprised by this, or is this just been a, a kind of a symptom of Spartak season so far of these performances, all in a very similar manner? Uh, 
surprised. I wasn't necessarily surprised. Um, I, I had some hope going into it that Spartak, I just had a feeling that maybe they were going to do have put in a good performance. And to be fair, you know, at half time I wasn't I wasn't upset. Even at the sixty minute mark, I probably wasn't even upset because Spartak were were dominating. And I thought, well, there's still time, you know, they'll, they'll score. You know, they're, they're having all the play, having all the shots. Um, but as you've already said, the, the shots they were having, uh, particularly from Jordan Larson, who I thought was pretty uh, woeful on the night. And uh, someone, I think it was Richard, uh, mentioned afterwards he's not scored for 13 matches now. Um, Larson very wasteful. We know Promes loves a long shot. He was also fairly wasteful. Um, just taking taking pot shots, um, you know, shooting. I, I'd love to see the XG. I might quickly Google it while I'm talking to you now, which is very unprofessional of me. Um, but uh, I, I suspect it's not pretty. They had. I, I'm pretty sure they had 23 shots versus the three or four that Leggett had. Um, and yeah, there was nothing clear cut. The one big chance that I thought they had, they they picked the wrong pass. They had. There was a chance in the first half where. Whoever, I think it was Ponser, had the ball. If he plays it left, Ayrton's free. He's in. But he played out right, out wide to the right to Moses, I think it was. Yeah. And the attack fizzled out on Ayrton was visibly, you know, as you might expect, uh, not too happy about that. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was not good, and it, you know it was fizzling out. They were, you know, wasting wasting chances. Event. I, th- I thought they took too long to stick so You know, Victoria put Sobilov on only in the 80th minute. Um, I, I thought they should have made that change sooner, honestly, because, you know, what's 10 minutes? 10 minutes is nothing really to have an impact when you're chasing a goal. I'd have had him on 10 minutes prior to that, uh, personally. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it was another case, you know, we, we've we've seen Spartak essentially... Just, just deflate, go very flat since uh, since Tedesco left. Um, Vittoria has not had the desired impact at all since since coming in, and you know we we know he's on borrowed time. Uh, no matter what anyone says, you know it's just a case of when, not if anymore. You know he he will definitely not be. Uh, I would be willing to put a fairly substantial bet on that he would not be Spartak manager by twenty twenty two. You know, if, if he's still in charge by then, he's either turned it around miraculously or Leonard for them is crazier than than we already think he is. Um, because it's there's no there's showing no no signs of improvement, you know. Spartak are the better team in on that on that night, you know, there's the better players there and that's why they dominated the game. But Legia set up in that way. Um, they had a decent chance not long before the end, Spartak hit it at the bar not not long beforehand, and then Legia had a good headed chance of their own. So um, as the game sort of drew on, Legia came out of the shell, and uh, and they and they scored. And you know the goal itself, dreadful. You know, um, I don't know if you were going to address this, but obviously the, the goal as a result of the two fullbacks, two fullbacks who are not good enough for this level, Raskazov and. For some reason, at this point, it was Lomovitsky playing at left back because reasons I don't know. Um, but, you know, the, these are two guys who are only playing at Spartak because of the limit. Um, you know, 
we we know that Raskazov has in the past had offers to go to to Germany to Augsburg, uh, but he's he's not. He's still around. Um, he he gave up as the Legia guy knocked the ball past him and sprinted down the line. Raskazov just assumed it had gone out of play. It didn't. It's it stayed along the line. And Lomovitsky's let his his man go at the back post for for the tap in. Um, you know, it, and we you know it's it's like we're a broken record. You know, we come back to it every time. It's Results made because of the quality of players, and the quality of players is low because the the teams are forced to have them and play them uh, because you know they they need a full playing squad, uh, and those are the best players currently available to them. Um, and ultimately, that that it's not what cost them. It's one of the many reasons it cost them on the night. Um, you know, the, they were wasted from the attack. Their, their foreign players were not good. Obviously. Injuries, Zobnin went off injured. Hendricks took a knock as well, but finished the game. You know, multitudes of reasons, but uh, but not a good, not a good result. Obviously, you know, on paper, their easiest game of the whole group stages. You know, Legia at home, and they're going to face a, an uphill struggle. Uh, I mean, we we predicted that beforehand anyway because of how they'd started under Victoria. They they are going to face an uphill struggle now to to get out of the group. Uh, even more so, you know, it's like they've started to climbing and Legia have just kicked them off after they got a third of the way up or something. Um, so yeah, it, it, it wasn't good. Um, uh, and yeah, I don't know what else to say, so I'll just stop talking there, I think. <laughs> I think it's almost like what we're seeing now in Rui Vittoria is very much what we were warned about when he was rumoured to have taken over and then before he had we've heard that he did or would be pretty soon and from those in Portugal it was generally that he's quite both an insipid character who is uninspiring who gets his team to play both insipid and uninspiring football if you cast your minds back now to the early days of Domenico Tedesco's time at Spartak Early doors, Tedesco would play what was a very, very heavily possession-orientated style with Ruskasov at right fullback, a right wing-back, and then Kutupov just inside him. It was, was aimed to dominate the opponent. Domestically, they did dominate possession, but created very, very little. Even with Sobolev, Ponser and Kral and Larson and all them players still there, still in the same team. Um, the only ones missing really were Promes, um, who hasn't exactly lit up the game since his return, too busy with his various court cases in, in Holland. But anyway, this Tedesco side was quite pedestrian. They would turn to the flank, wing back would rise very high, very wide, try and overload. But all this generally did was just create huge amounts of vacant space within the Spartak team. And they hadn't bought into and learned enough of Tedesco's philosophy. As time wore on, you saw the impetus, you saw the drive, you saw them understanding what he wanted more and more. Yes, there were a little bit of a glass cannon defensively at times, absolutely woeful. You basically had Gijo and Jikia defending on their own and then everybody else in the final third. Thus, because of that, Spartak were awful defensively at times. We all remember just how horrific they were defending set pieces under Tedesco and prone to a counter-attack, especially like a lateral positional move. 
Ruby and have got a very good record against Tedesco Spartak, and that's exactly how they took advantage of it. So it's never perfect under Tedesco, but going forwards, he dom- he really did change that side into a really exciting and dynamic one. There's absolutely nothing of that. It's almost like we've just went back in time 18 months and found what, and that's how Vittoria's decided to to go about the game. It, it's literally just dominating possession, sometimes for the sake of it, recycling of play, sometimes for the sake of it. There was one opportunity when I think it was um, Ezekia carried the ball up from defence. He's, he's decent at He's not as good as Zizou at, but he's all right at it. And there was a real good pass on to Sobolev in the middle and Ponsa could have been free. Like It was a nicely one-two sort of situation that you would have seen. Quickly played, fast, flowing football under Tedesco. And he just turned around and gave it back to Zizou. And there's too many times that's happening under Vittoria. It's almost like they're either getting completely bollocked and afraid to make a mistake, where from, I don't know, or they don't really know what to do or they're being told to be to hold back. It's just totally pedestrian. If you look at some of the XG per 90 figures per player, Quincy Promise, I mean, David, you mentioned earlier that Promise likes to take his shots on. Now, Promise has got 4.35 shots per 90, which is the highest in the entire Spartak team. This is from um, Understat, everyone, by the way, who have got good metrics on the RPL. Uh, this is domestically, of course, as well. But Promise is XG per 90, 0.14. <laughs> Something like 60-70% of his shots are taken from 25 to 30 yards out. It's a totally different promise to the one that you saw a couple of years ago. Obviously, he's not as dynamic. He's had a pretty rough couple of years off and on the pitch. But it doesn't even look like the same type of player trying to make the same type of runs. So much of Spartak and his game, Promise himself's game, is just hit and hope. And that's like... Promise's situation is like a microcosm of Spartak's. And a lot of it comes down to what was essentially a disastrous summer that had the worst transfer window in the entire in the entire VRPL, including Ufa, who didn't spend a bloody penny. Because they don't have a structure at the top which is intelligent enough to go and find a gem to train a player to get a good people in behind the scenes without having to spend a lot of money. That's the only thing that Spart- that Fadoon knows how to do, is to spend and try and fix things by spending more. The fact that Lomovitsky came on and played left wing back was just absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, I'll 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 stop and I'll 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 take give everyone a breather because sometimes it's just as easy to discuss and hate about those things that you love as it is <laughs> be happy about it. Richard, what were your immediate thoughts from the from the Spartak disaster yesterday afternoon? Yeah, um, obviously this game I was on when I was at work. I managed to, I'd finished work and, and then I managed to catch the last 10 minutes of it. The frustrating thing for me was like in the last 10 minutes of it, I was weaving in and out of, you know, watching the game and then checking the stats on flash score. And even though Spartak was having all those chances, when it was near and in 85 minutes, I got that sudden chill inside of me thinking they've not taken chances. It's going to mean a, a late Legia winner and look what happened. Um and it's just it's so depressing. <laughs> it is it is just literally so depressing because this was supposed to be the game which represented their best chance of a win on paper. I know Legia have not had a particularly great start domestically in Poland. Um, so it's even more depressing that the quote-unquote easiest game on paper has now disappeared and the two favourites for the Europa League so far are in their group as well with them, with Leicester and, um, 
and Napoli, so they might have to set up the barricades at Acritiarina for the next two matches. I mean, everything about it is just, yeah, just really, really depressing. I had a look at the coefficient today for 2024 at lunchtime, and I think Russia is going to be 26 now come 2024, and depressing the Lagos win. Poland is in 27th come 2024, and Lagos win means even Poland is catching uh, Russia now for 27th spot, 26th spot. So it, it, it's not good. It, it really is not good. And and I totally echo and agree what David said about um, Raskarzov and and, Lom- and Lomovitsky. And I'll even throw two more in as well to that. Uh, one of them's now left the club, obviously, but Artem Timofeyev, he only just left the club in the summer. And then Ilya Kutepov. Those four players there who all Spartak Academy products, and let's be honest, none of them really should be should have been there last season or this season. You know, they're just not good enough. They are basically lower-end RPL players. Maybe Raskarzov has potential to be a middle to upper-end RPL player in the future, but definitely not now. Maybe middle-end is probably, you know, and maybe could tap off middle-end as well. But Lomovitsky, you know, he's been out on loan at Arsenal Tula. I don't think he's particularly impressed there. And it's, it, yeah, it's the foreign limit. It, if these people just cannot see that this is the issue, uh, and, and so many people now are waking up and finally starting to see it. Um, I think I saw... A tweet from um, Yevgeny Kafelnikov, the former tennis star. I think he he supports Spartak, and I think he tweeted something sarcastic about, "Oh, but the limit gives chance for some of our own to play. Let's keep playing Lomovitsky or some, something along those lines." With like an ironic like smile from <laughs> emoji smile, and it, 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 everybody can see it that the foreign limit is the issue. And I mean, I just had a look at Lagos just squad for that game yesterday, um, and there'll be people who, say, who defend the limit keep saying. Well, look at Lagia's side yesterday. There was five Polish players in the starting eleven, so that proves it works. Do you want to guess how many foreign players are on the bench and in the starting eleven combined for Lagia? Fifteen. Fifteen foreign players. There were six on the starting lineup for them and nine on the bench. So that just shows you fifteen non-Polish players. They've got so much more depth on the bench than Spartak could dream of, you know. And um, until this is fixed, Russian football is just—it's going to go literally nowhere. Like, if they're, if they're really serious about it, you know, obviously, yeah, there's other issues other than the foreign limit. You know, Vittoria, I accept, has not done well. But the foreign limit, it just needs fixing. Um, if it's not going to be fixed, then I really don't know what's going to happen because we're going to be having, like we were saying with David, said we're just going to have these same old conversations over and over again. And it's it's just not good. No, it's not. It's nowhere near good enough. Um, I would like to give a little bit of shout out. You mentioned ledger players, but a little bit of a shout out to former Krasnodar right back Arta Jedrzejczyk, who basically defended like an absolute demon and <laughs> was, was absolutely brilliant. Cut her rolling back the years. I think he's what thirty four now. He must be a kind of kind of age because he was at um, Krasnodar way back in twenty thirteen when they had when back before the had even built the, the full academy and everything, but. It's just so many issues that you can see. And I'll, I'll focus back on Spartak here, because I, I agree entirely about the, the limit. It's it's ridiculous that you see people like Alexander Lomovitsky playing at left wing back in a Europa League game. But it's quite ironic that um, before the game, Ferdun had like a a demand to the players. I, I can't remember, I, I, I'm not quite sure if this was personal or if it was... Um, told over some form of social media to them uh, or via text or email or what, but he basically demanded to the players that they wash away the shame of 2011 um, 
that shame of 2011 is when Spartak lost in stoppage time against Legia, uh, ironically. So they washed away the shame of 2011 by creating a new shame of 2021. Um, for those unaware, of course, as we kind of briefly mentioned uh, when discussing the groups, that Legia are big rivals to Lech Poznan, who we've got a partnership with Spartak. And it's just one of those uh, club partnerships. So as a result, Spartak don't get on with Legia Warsaw. I mean, I don't think the vast majority of the <laughs> footballing world get on with Legia Warsaw as fans. But it's just ironic that Fadoon demanded that when so much of what's happening is from him. It's his direct fault. We, if anyone needs to wash away the shame, he can demand that upon himself because the way that he and those around them and those in the annals of power at Tashina, the way that they've treated themselves, the way that they have acted and the way that they have took the piss out of the club is an absolute disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. And the fans are furious and rightfully so furious. They have been for years. The only reason that the only thing that abated Spartak fans' fury at Verdun was that one league win. And it didn't stop it, it just abated it because everybody knew that was a fluke, largely by the fact that a lot of other teams weren't quite as good that year, and they had hit the perfect storm of a very good group of players playing together at one time, with Promes in the form of his life and Carrera just getting the best out of the side. All of that wasn't because of Fadoon. All of that was in spite of Fadoon. He's an absolute joke. The man is useless. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And then yet, you go and have a scroll through some of the sections of the media, and it's all about, oh, Spartak could have had this if it wasn't for a penalty for the tackle on Ayrton. Or it's like, oh, Spartak could have had this if it wasn't for the injury to Zobden. Oh, to, oh, but if they had if they'd done something in the transfer, if, if, Vittori, if, if it's on Vittoria, it's his fault. So let's be real, it's not Vittoria's fault. It, when it comes to Spartak exclusively, 99.9% .9 of the problems are top-down. It starts and stops with him. He's useless. If you just look at some of the coverage in, in Russia, in, in Poland, sorry, and, and there were literally like, the headlines in one of the Polish daily sports papers was Spartak on its knees. They were absolutely reveling in Spartak being beaten by Ledger in the way that they were absolutely shithoused by Ledger and I mean shithoused in the type of performance not to take it away from Ledger whatsoever but David any final thoughts yourself on Spartak and what can they where can they go from here because that's the game at home to Ledger you're really looking at them getting maximum points from uh yeah I mean I mean, I echo everything you said. You know, I, I was making a point uh, on social media yesterday. You know, it's that it all does stem with Fidoon. While Vittoria is not doing a good job, he, he hasn't got the best tools available to him. Um, and that's not all his fault. It's not even all Fidoon's fault because, you know, obviously, some of the buck comes to and starts with, uh, you know, the people who head the Russian Football Union, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we, we all know this by now. Um, where they go from this, they're, they're going to need to fix up very quickly and uh, hope they can put in some some big performances uh, against some tough teams. Um, not much more to say than that. Uh, I did check out the XG. So Loco 
no loco. So I'm, I'm thinking loco because I'm watching it on my at the corner of my eye. Uh, Spartak had 23 shots with a total XG of 1.6. So that was an average XG per shot of 0.07. So essentially, seven by my maths, that's a seven percent chance of every shot going in. Um, Legia created 1.4 out from just seven shots with a 20, therefore 20 percent chance of each shot going in. So, uh, and out of the 23 shots that Sparta had, only three were on target. I should add, also. Um, so, yeah, not not a good showing in, in attack. Uh, you know, I think I think we all sort of queried the promise, the return of promise. You know, would it would it be the same? Um, you know, he only scored his first goal for the club this weekend, just gone right since he has returned, um, which you know goes as far as saying how well he's settled in to to back to Spartak and back to you know, the situation that they're in. But we know that team can score. Last season, all three of those strikers, Larson, Pontosolev, hit double figures for goals in the league. Um, so we know there's goals there. Uh, and what's the thing that's changed? It is ultimately, obviously, the manager. You know, the style of players changed. Uh, the motivation that they got from Tedesco. You know, Tedesco was a character. Um, you know, so so many things have have contributed to to this. Um, we now have to just grit our teeth and bear it, and hope that Spartak can chuck up a surprise. Maybe they can, you know, do a Zenit. Maybe they can, you know, put out pull out one of those big, you know, defensive performances. I mean, it's a lot to ask. Um, the centre halves are good. You know, I, I don't have much question about Jikia and Jigo performing at this level. I think they both can do it. But uh, it's going to be getting uh, getting the fullbacks because Ayrton Ayrton's great, but he's you know he's more of a wing back going forwards in defence. He can be a bit suspect. Um, and if Lomovitsky gets to play, let's let's also recall that Lomovitsky played the full ninety in the qualifier for the Champions League as a winger, as a winger, because obviously Promise and, uh, and Moses were both injured. So uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's a multitude of things, and we just have to yeah hope for the best. I think, uh, and yeah. It's quite, quite bleak. <laughs> it's, it's all quite bleak from a Spartak perspective. Uh, that was at the weekend. Pronser's third goal. Pr- Pronser Promes's third goal for Spartak since returning. He did of course score oh, twice really? last year. Yeah, Ural, remember? Uh, I don't know. Smallest... I don't know where I, why I read that. I read that somewhere, and I yeah. didn't check it. I just assumed it was true. <laughs> When they slaughtered Ural just after Promise had signed, and everyone got really excited because him and Larson were unreal together. Oh uh, yeah, and the barely counts against Ural though, does it? He, he's pretty. Hey, it's going Andrew, against back, back <laughs> as well. Andrew Flint will be the first to admit that Ural uh, are not the best team this season. Uh, no, that's because Eric McFalvey's passed it. He's now for fifty-five. Oh, that's the only reason. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no other problem. So it's now finally full time in the locomotive mask match, uh, and Loco did go one nil down early on from uh, from a penalty by Chengizun Una after Nayer Tikhanizian was sent off. But Faustino and Yorin did score his first goal for the club in the 89th minute to level it all up. And next we'll be hearing directly from the RJD Arena live from the RFN locomotive resp- correspondent Ilya Sokolov. So, Ilya, what part of the RGD arena are you, are you joining us from now, long after the game? 
yeah, I'm uh, near the metro station, and like a lot of strange guys around uh, living in the stadium. So I, I hope we like it will be a short conversation because I'm gonna want to go home right now. <laughs> yeah, of course, no problem. I'll, I'll just steal a few of your minutes. So. First of all, uh, well, as I said before, well, I forget what priorities correct right at the start. How was the hospitality and the food at the in the press box and and around the ground today? Uh, well, I was uh, very hungry today, so uh, I went straight to the food kiosk and I bought uh, a chicken shashlik, and it was great. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I was the first guy who bought it because I, I came to the game early. Um, then I went to, uh, I was still hungry, so I, I, I bought a hot dog, uh, it was, uh, cheapy and I would prefer a bit more sauce, uh, more ketchup. <laughs> so <clears throat> I didn't like the hot dog, uh, like hot dog gets a three out of 10 and shashlik is definitely 10 out of 10. So uh, I was still satisfied, and moreover, uh, what I liked about uh, match date, uh, it was uh, there was a car from a taxi movie, and uh, you know uh, that, that that's an important movie for me because it was I guess it was the first uh, DVD I've ever watched, uh, Taxi Trois. That was the first uh, movie I ever, ever watched on DVD, and uh, I had a lot of feelings about it. And uh, it was definitely great to see that car. I tried to Google some songs from Taxi Trois, and they're all banned on Spotify and on Yandex Music. But uh, so, so a lot of nostalgic feelings. I'm, I'm not really surprised at the band, to be honest, especially on Spotify. <laughs> but um. I, I did wonder when I'd seen the the as a little insight to how RFN works for everyone. Whenever Ilya's got accredited for a match, he'll send us a variety of photographs of the game around the around the ground, um, some spectators, and it's like a, a big collection of them every game. And I did wonder why there was four four just of a, a, a Peugeot car just outside of the ground, so that. That makes complete sense. But if we will move on to, to the match itself, um, how did you think Logo played? Because I know beforehand we spoke earlier today and you said that you were you were not optimistic at all and were expecting quite a heavy defeat from at the hands of Marseille. Yeah, first of all, Luke had this card. I definitely, I was really afraid when I, like, uh, found out that we, first we don't have much Rebus and, uh, we had uh, Nick, Nick Tiknizian as a sub, and uh, I didn't like the midfield at all. Uh, I don't think that uh, uh, Bika has like a connection with the, the other guys, and the game definitely showed that uh, uh, locomotive counterattacks weren't that lethal as they were in RPL, mm. and. Uh, so so yeah, I was expecting something like uh, a nil three, nil four, a comfortable win for Marcel. Mm. We got a great result instead. Yeah, definitely, it's by far the 
the best result of the week, especially compared to Spartak's uh, disaster against against uh, Legia. But it's good to see Tino and Joran getting on the score sheet, obviously getting his first first goal for Loco. I just wondered before we do discuss the uh, how Anjoran played when he when he did play. Um, what's your thoughts on him taking? Obviously, Loskov gave it to him, but taking Los Loskov's number out of retirement to wear on his back. Oh, you know, I don't care about it a lot, especially after <laughs> if you remember Loskov retirement. Uh, like he finished his career and then he suddenly appeared in for, for one game when he was like 40 something and he yeah. didn't look like a, he looked like an American football player like a, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's definitely not a soccer player I was at that game that was, that was great like 10 minutes of master class from <laughs> that guy so so I think like any guy deserves number 10 and maybe it gives him a boost because maybe he feels that it is important and he definitely showed today that he can be that guy mm-hmm. he costs uh, like 17 millions we, we gotta pay for him this winter if we want uh, if we want him to stay yeah and it's 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 nice to see a a prospect come on loan from the English Premier League to the Russian Premier League. It's something that really doesn't happen very often. And what I liked about him when he came on is I thought he, I mean, he, he didn't give the ball away once. I mean, he wasn't massively involved as you would expect. Marseille were still largely bossing most possession. I think they had like, what, 75% or something like that by the end of the game. But every single time he got the ball, he made something happen. He just looks like he's a, potentially going to be coming in coming to loco and bringing some real class to the team um what did you think about rangnick and zones transfers by getting rid of some of the older players and making the squad younger in general bringing in becca Bakar and anjoran and a couple of others do you think it's been a successful transfer window yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about these guys. And first, first of all, I'm really excited that we have uh, do have a strategy of buying young players, and I think it wouldn't be very hard to sell them even if they fail, because uh, they're still still young. And uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's hard to understand if it's Ragnik's strategy or maybe if it's torn strategy because he did the same uh, in Spartak and you mm-hmm. can't actually say that he failed because even the players weren't they, they didn't become stars but him, uh, Spartak managed to sell uh, sell them to big clubs uh, despite the, their performance were was like average so mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, so I'm I'm excited and I actually like both Andrewin and uh, Kirk. Uh, yeah. What Kirk showed in his friendly game against CSK and then the next game against Quilia, he's. I mean, he can dribble past defenders. He, he's like, uh, I think he's the guy who makes a lot of key passes every game. And, He's a he's a great fantasy football addition. That's my advice. 
yeah, as for as for other guys, so it, it, yeah, and also, of course, I don't like that we pay like five to seven millions for the guys from CSK Moscow because we help them to get yeah. uh, a lot of money for uh, pretty average football players and. Nair Tiknizan showed today that he's definitely not the first option as a left back. And today we well understood uh, what uh, Lokomotiv looks like without Machu Ribas. And uh, who's, I, I told you, like, I tell you every year that Machu Ribas is a key player for Lokomotiv because he, is, he can be dangerous in attack. Uh, and he's the best left back in, in the team. Uh, uh, and actually, Marko Niklic was asked at the press conference why Siljanov didn't play from the start. <clears throat> but he said he was he had just uh, one training before the game, so he wasn't ready. But yeah. uh, Nair, Nair definitely didn't seem to be ready to. No, I. I think Tignizian, when he was at Siska playing left back, he, he did an all right job covering against more average players. But when you're playing Marseille in Europe, I think he, today his lack of genuine quality and lack of intelligence really, really showed. And Rebus was a was quite a big miss. Um, Kirk, I, I agree. I think Kirk seems to be an intelligent player. I, I had read that when he and had been told by Dutch journalists when he'd arrived that he was very much more so in the frame of Kamano, where he was going to not do a great deal up until the final third and use his finishing and his pace. But Kirk's a lot different to him. He, he, he gets involved in the game far more. And I thought when he came on, or when, when Kamano came on, he obviously changed the game for Loco and, he scored two goals last week, but Kirk, I thought, still played quite well and and, and applied himself very well. And although he's still only early in his career, um, Maradashvili, I, I do quite like as a player. I don't think he's one of the best young Russians out there. I think Mukin's better. You might not like me saying that, obviously, because they swapped. But um, I, I, I think they Loco only overpaid for him because because of the sheer price. Um, because he's uh, because he's because he's Russian, just for the passport. But Ilya, pretty much perfect start in terms of playing such a difficult team in Marseille, being down to ten men, and that was when Anjoran came on and changed the game, played far faster. Um, do you expect Loco to to think we could progress from the group and get through the knockout stages? Uh, yeah, well, I didn't watch the the other game between Galatasaray and Lazio, and uh, I don't know this team these teams well, so I don't know what to expect from them. Uh, I, I'm really happy we got a, a point against Marcel because Marcel definitely looks like a much stronger team, and maybe they're more they're just more ready, uh, and. Uh, but still, still, we managed to get the point. And uh, what I liked about the game today is that after we lost a player, we I think we we played even better than eleven against eleven. Uh, 
maybe Marcel, maybe Marcel uh, doesn't know how to score, how to convert uh, the possession uh, into goals, and yeah. that's our chance in, in the away game. And as for as for other two teams, there. Uh, I don't know. Lassus looks like uh, one of the top teams in the group. So, but but uh, the thing is, they still have Caicedo uh, as the striker who wasn't like starving at Lokomotiv, but he's like, I guess he's one of the best players. Uh, so maybe that shows that the level is not that high. Uh, mm. uh, like our strike is definitely better. Just for small of uh, what a shot today. Just not unlucky. Yeah, uh, yeah, really unlucky. But it's um, it's weird because Caicedo scored against Zenit last season as well, if I remember rightly. But um, I think personally, local might. It, it, I mean, the group's wide open now because. The two sides you would have expected to win, Marseille and Lazio, haven't neither of them have won today. Obviously, in the last minute equaliser from Loco, and then Lazio's goalkeeper scoring an own goal, and, and what you don't hear about very often. But Ilya, thanks for joining joining us. We'll um we'll let you let you get away and and go and f- find yourself some warmth in Moscow and get yourself home. But um thanks again and great result today for Loco as well. Uh, yeah, thank you. And don't forget to watch uh, our pill games this weekend to make subs in your fantasy team. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. Speak later, mate. Yeah, bye. And with that, that's the end of this week's podcast. We'll be back as normal, the usual time next week with some more domestic orientated action. As Ilya said, don't forget to check all of your fantasy team subs and and catch up with some RPL action this weekend. To have a little quick look ahead to some of the RPL action, uh, the big games include the, of course, Mos- Moscow derby between Siska and Spartak, and that's at 5.30pm on Monday evenings, so that's be 7.30 MSK. Other games also, big one at the top with Rubin hosting Zenit, uh, Sochi Dinamo, and then some of the, all the way down to some of the basement battlers getting get playing together. So it's going to be quite a big weekend, and hopefully looking for quite a feisty game in that Moscow derby on Monday night. Until then, this has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет